0: This morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4. And let me also just say from the bottom of my heart, not only for mine, but I would even, I believe I speak for Brother Trey and his family and my family. Thank you for your love and your appreciation. Um, You have loved us well uh, for the last five years, and we have enjoyed um, every moment of it, and it has been a blessing. And so, uh, looking just forward to what God is doing in our church and in the years to come. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 through 44, will be our, our text this morning, but I want to recall Luke chapter 1 first. Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, you may recall the author's purpose. He says, or he writes, It seemed fitting for me as well as having investigated everything carefully. Uh, from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. So here what we find is, is that in the very beginning, we, and we talked about this, that Luke tells us the reason that he's writing his gospel. And John is very similar. He, at the end of the gospel, he tells us that he wrote everything that we may know the truth, that we may believe in Jesus Christ. The Gospels are historical eyewitness accounts of the teaching of Jesus and the supernatural deeds and acts of Christ. They are given to us for the very purpose that we may know and believe Jesus to be the Messiah. That he was not just a man, that he was not just some rabbi, but that he is the Son of God. That we may know his power. That we may know that that our hope, as we were just saying, is in him and him only. It cannot be in anyone else. And so this is the reason why we see throughout the Gospels this work, this miraculous work of healing and raising people from the dead and different things. These miracles are actually known, the more common word is signs. Throughout the Gospels, that's what you really see. What, What signs will you perform for us, Jesus? These are the, these are signs because they point us to Him. They they lead us to the belief and to faith in Christ as the Son of God. Now, last week we saw the very first sign in the Gospel of Luke. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we were we saw where Jesus is in Capernaum in the synagogue and He is preaching and a man who's possessed of a demon comes up and he begins to scream and yell out and Jesus with but a word with a command he rebukes this demon and he casts this demon out and so we saw this as the very first sign in Luke's gospel but in the following verses this morning what we find is, is that Jesus will now perform more signs many of them in fact that Christ is going to begin to heal many individuals of physical illnesses and de- diseases and even more people who are possessed of demons. He is. We are going to see that Luke, as I said last week, he is going to zero in on Jesus' authoritative power. That he has the ability to set men free from both the supernatural and physical oppression. Now last week we focused on the authority part. That Christ has the influence, he has the privilege, he has the right to render judgment, to control things, and how because he has the authority, he has the power, the privilege there, we are to submit to him, we are to submit to his authority. Today I want to zero in on the power, I want to zero in this morning on the ability, and I told you last week we were going to look at two other things, but I actually worked in a third one here, and I want you to see this this morning. I've entitled the sermon, The Messiah's Power. Last week we saw His authority, this morning we're going to see His power, and here's the big idea, is that Jesus demonstrates His great ability to heal those who are physically sick as evidence of His ability to save us from our sins. I'm going to say that again. Jesus demonstrates His great ability to heal those that are physically sick as evidence of His ability to save us from From our sins. FPC, it is my hope this morning. That as we walk through this text. We walk through this verse. This this passage of scripture. That you will seek the power of God. Not just to heal physical illnesses. If you have those. But you will seek the power of God. To cleanse you of your sin. To find victory in the areas that you are weak. And. That you will proclaim the message of God's power, that others may be set free. So here are the three main points this morning. I I want you to notice the power of sin. I want you to notice then, secondly, the the power to heal, or Jesus' power to heal. And then thirdly, the power of the gospel. The power of sin, the power to heal, and the power of the gospel. If you would, let's read, beginning in Luke 4, verse 38. It says, Then he got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. Now while the sun was setting, all those who had who, who had who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons were also coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And when the day came, Jesus left, and he went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and he came to him, and he tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. If you will, I want you to first notice the power of sin. We are told here in verse 38 that after Jesus preached a wonderful message, after Jesus Performed a wonderful sign of, and, and this casting out of the demon, this amazing service that he then does like any good Sunday morning church member does. He goes home and he prepares himself for a large meal. Most of their services would end around noonish, and so they would do the same thing that most of us do. They'd go home, and they and they would have a meal, and many of you still perform do this uh, tradition. Maybe others may remember, you know, the, those ladies of the house, those grandmothers, those mothers who would fix a large meal for everybody, and everybody in the family would come over, and you would just kind of spend the afternoon eating and rejoicing with one another and talking about the day. And so this is kind of what's happening. Jesus is now entering into the home of Peter where he's going to have, not Sunday lunch, but Saturday lunch. We know that Andrew has introduced Peter to Jesus, but but Peter has not been called to follow as a disciple yet. He has not been called to be an apostle just yet. But it is likely, though, that Peter is a local uh, member of the synagogue. And so he witnessed the great miracle that Christ has performed. And so after this, Jesus enters in and that he may have a meal with Peter and his family. But the meal is not very joyful. Matter of fact, they apparently don't even get to the point of eating just yet. Because Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Luke, being the the doctor that he is, he he tells us that she is suffering from, notice he says, a high fever. This is a detail that, that Luke gives us that we don't really get from Matthew and Mark. But high, the Greek word meaning mega, great, this is... This is not just a common cold. This is is not a low-grade temperature. This is a very high uh, temperature. She's burning up. And probably to the point that she may even be bedridden. Mark and and Matthew's Gospels tell us that she is laying prostrate in the bed. And kind of hints to us that the fever is so high that she feels so bad that she is not even able to get out of the bed. She's laying there. Because normally, what would she be doing but preparing the meal and serving the people? But here she is. She's sick. She's in the bed. And it's very likely that her life is in danger, probably from an infection of some sort. Which is why Peter and them ask Jesus for his help. After witnessing what he has done to the man in the, in the synagogue, they now turn to Christ and they say, they say can, you help my, my mother-in-law? Can, can you help my mother in law? Can you help my mother? And to be honest, this morning, we can all relate to this, can we not? We can relate to Peter and his wife who stood by helpless as one that they loved is sick. And we can also relate to the mother-in-law who is sick there in bed, feeling so bad that she can't get out. We really don't relate well, and I would hope not to this, but we really don't relate too well to the, the passage beforehand where the demon possession. But sickness, absolutely We know what it means. We we know what it feels like to watch those that we love who are sick and who are dying and perishing. We know what it means ourselves to be infected and to be sick ourselves and struggling physically. Which always leads to the question when we come to these things. When people are really hurting and people are dying and things. We we always want to ask that question and, and it's totally okay to ask. Why do people get sick? When these types of horrible and terrifying events happen, we want to know why does this take place? Your friend, sickness is a real life issue. It is something that we all struggle with. What does the Bible say about this? I'm going to carry you through through a few passages of Scripture. And for time's sake, we're just going to have to sum some of these up. But I would love for you to write these down that you may can go back later, read and study. But we, we see in the very beginning that before sin entered the world, where everything was perfect and there was no sickness, that God says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, that he looks to Adam and he says that if you eat of this tree, you can have all these other, you can eat of every other tree, every other fruit, but if you eat of this tree, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, he says, you will surely die. There will be a death, there will be, there will be decay, there's going to be a destruction. And we know this to be, to be true, because there in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, that God tells to Adam, he, he deals with the serpent, he deals with the woman, and he looks to Adam, who is our federal head, and he says to Adam... He says, from dust you came, and so dust you shall go. We know that in Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, the Apostle Paul tells us that by the sin of one man, by the sin of one man centered into the world, and by that one man not only sin but death, death entered into all. So the New Testament confirms what we see in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, that death and sickness and the, the fact that we perish, that we, that we are being destroyed daily, that we, are, that we are going back into the ground, that we are weak, is affirmed by the New Testament. But I want to read First Corinthians chapter 15 because I do believe the Apostle Paul just gives us a wonderful detail of this. As he's telling us, as he's teaching on the resurrection and life after death, notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead... It is sown perishable. that right now our our bodies are perishing. He says you you sow a perishable body, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in, notice this, weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. So we see here from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. We even see this in Revelation all the way. That this is a part of life and it originates there in the garden where Adam sinned. And because of sin, death enters into the world. Spiritual death and physical death. Dear friends, friends, sickness is part of the fall. It is very much a result of the original sin. The sin of Adam resulted in both spiritual and physical death of all humanity. There are only two throughout all of scripture by the grace of God that has not experienced death. According to 1 Corinthians 15, as we have just read, that each of us possesses a body which is in the process of decaying. It is, it is weak, it is corruptible, it is perishing day by day. And guess when it starts? It starts at birth. We begin to age. And we even know that at birth that there are those who, who have experienced their own children, that from the very moment that they are born, that they are born with sickness, they are born with defects. We see this, that our bodies, even from the moment of birth, we are weak and corruptible and perishing and it is the direct result of the sin of Adam the fall but here what we find is in scripture is that the power of sin has gravely affected the physical body the greek word here that luke uses the word sick in verse 40 it means that you are without strength you are powerless have we not felt this way a virus a flu A stroke? A heart attack? A fall? Or what about cancer? What about autoimmune diseases? Have we not seen this very word and and can relate to this very word, the the, the feeling and the result of, of because of a sickness, because of something that has affected our physical body, that we are powerless and we are without strength? And all of this is a result of sin, that the power of sin that it has upon this world, physical and spiritual. But dear friends, think with me for just a moment. If you are powerless to stop a stomach bug, if you are powerless to stop a flu from knocking you down physically and putting you in the bed for 24 hours or more, if you are powerless to stop cancer and to stop a stroke, if you are powerless to do to stop any of these things that are a result of sin, how much more powerless are you to overcome sin itself? And let me be very clear on this, that being sick is not sin. I'm afraid that we got that confused a couple years ago with COVID. Sickness is not sin in and of itself. There is no judgment on those who are sick, but sickness is a result of sin. But if we cannot deal with the physical repercussions and results of sin, how in the world could we ever overcome the spiritual reality of sin? How can we ever face sin itself and overcome it? How much more powerless are we to rescue ourselves, not only from sin, but from the very judgment and wrath of God because of our sin? We find ourselves very much like Peter and his wife. They stand there helpless and they look only to Christ. They have to look to a power that is greater to their own and beg of Him that He may come and intervene on their behalf. And so therefore it is with the effects of sin Here within this text, we are reminded not only, brothers and sisters, that sin has gravely affected us physically, but also spiritually. That every time we see a disability, every time we become sick, every time we fall and break a bone, every time we do anything, we are reminded that we are living under a broken and fallen world, and we are a people who are in need of a Savior. You say, Brother Brian, that's really depressing news, but there is good news within the text. Is, is, is We see here the, the bad news and we see the power of sin. But now I want you to notice the power to heal. I want you to notice the power of Christ. Look at verse 38. It says, then he got up and he left the synagogue. of God. He comes into, it says, now Simon's, uh, he comes into Simon's home. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, high fever and they were asked him to help her. And then it says, and standing over her, he rebukes the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying hands on them, each one of them, he was healing them. We even see in verse 41 that he's also still casting out demons. We are told that Jesus Christ, that though we live in a broken world and sin itself is powerful and it affects us, we are see here that Christ has the ability to, to not only just rebuke, not only to restore a person, but to overcome the power of sin, to overcome the results of sin. Here, Jesus rebukes the fever. The intent of this, this is a very strong statement, it's a very unique statement to be used. Only twice throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, do we see where Jesus rebukes an inanimate object, something that is not living. We see it here with the issue of the fever, we'll see it again when he rebukes the storm and the the waves. Normally as he's rebuking people, he's rebuking demons, but, but here Luke uses this word that he is rebuking the fever, that he is telling the fever to go away, that he can speak to the fever and that it will disappear. Notice there's no use of medicine. There's no, there's no medical technique. There's no incantation. There's no taking her to the doctor. There is nothing other than the sovereign supernatural power over an infection. There's nothing more than the divine, powerful word of God. And if that wasn't spectacular enough for you this morning, we then see that a large crowd of people with various diseases and demon possession come to Peter's door. And they come and they're seeking healing. Because who would not want to do this, right? Who, who does not, who, who is in their sickness and in their weakness and in need of help, can find out that there is one who can heal you. There is one who can save you. They, they come and they line up one by one. And it leads us to believe that it may even be all of those in the town that are sick. We don't really know that. But it would lead us to believe that there are many. And so here we have a large crowd of people who come... And one by one, he begins to touch them. One by one, he begins to speak to them. And one by one, through the power of Christ, each one is healed just as Peter's mother. Just as the man earlier who was possessed of a demon. There are several things that we can learn from this. We see the power of sin over our lives, but but notice the power of Christ. Notice firstly that his power is able to heal instantly. That the moment that Jesus rebuked the fever, the moment that he speaks to, to, to the fever and he says that it to be gone, to, be, to leave, that she is instantly, that she is immediately healed. Now, I, I love Luke who gives us this little bit of depth, this little bit of description of what takes place. That she immediately begins up and what does she begin to do? She begins to serve. She begins to cook. Now, let me just stop here for just a moment. And, and for those of you who have the, the big Sunday dinners, and, and even for those of you who, who may not have such a big Sunday dinner, but just any kind of you know dinner, any kind of lunch, but I remember those days where we would all gather, and, and it was a big meal, and, and normally it was one or two people who cooked everything. That's a big chore. That's a big job. Now, remind yourself of when you've had a fever, Remind yourself of when you had the stomach bug or you had some kind of infection or you had some kind of sickness and that when the fever broke, when the virus was gone, that did you immediately want to get up and begin to serve people? You probably didn't even want them to be in your home. Some of you probably get pretty mean when you're sick. I'm just saying. You don't want anybody to be around you. Just leave me alone. And here what we find, that she is just instantly cured. There's no progression, there's no medicine, there's no treatment. She she doesn't get better gradually, but she immediately is cured. And she is completely, in other words, not only is she instantly and immediately, but she's completely, the healing was not partial. They didn't have to return for a a second healing. When Jesus would heal leprosy, they didn't have to come back to Him and go, You missed the spot. How many times have you done that? You've gone to the doctor and you had to go back to the doctor because they didn't get everything. Or you had to go back to the doctor because it kept reoccurring. You had to go back and get the medicine over and over again. There's no partial here. When he healed blindness, they received full vision, not partial. His power does not lie, but it brings a complete restoration. There's nothing left of the fever. There's nothing left of the sickness. But I would even add this, that we even see that he heals infinitely. He heals without limit. It's limitless, the power of Christ and the the sicknesses that he can heal. Notice the description here with the people who come to Peter's door. Luke tells us various. Now again, you've got to remember this guy is a doctor. This is a guy who has seen various diseases there were those who came with leprosy. There were those who came with a fever. There were those who came with a stomach bug. There were those who came with cancer. There were those who came with disabilities that they were born with. There was a spectrum of different things. The word various means to be rich in many colors. It is like the rainbow, that, that a rainbow has many different colors, and you can view all of them And so what we find here is, is that the the point of this detail that Luke wants you to see is that Jesus Christ is not restricted by certain illnesses. He's not restricted by certain sicknesses. That he has the power to heal every shape, every size, every color. That his power is without limit. It is infinite. There is not a sickness, there is not a disease, there is not a disability, there is not a handicap, there is not a broken bone, there is not a stroke, there is not a heart attack, there is not a thing that Jesus Christ cannot heal. And you say, Brother Brian, why are these details so important? Dear friends, if he can heal the physical effects of sin, if he can reverse the effects of the fall then he can heal and reverse our spiritual sin, our spiritual sickness. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, Matthew, in his parallel version of this, he actually quotes Old Testament scripture. It's rather interesting. Matthew was on to something here. Matthew actually quotes in verse 17 of telling the same event and the same story. He actually quotes Isaiah 53. He says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now, are you saying that the purpose of Christ is that he is to heal all sicknesses? No. What Matthew is doing is, is Matthew connects what has taken place with Peter's mother-in-law and these people and the sick people in Capernaum with Isaiah 53 to show us the very thing that I'm telling you, that if he can heal the physical results of sin, then he can also heal the spiritual results of sin. He's showing us the prophecy of the suffering servant, of the one who would come, who willingly lays down his life. It's almost as if he's trying to give you a spoiler alert, saying, if you think this is amazing, just wait. Because when he dies for our sins, and he rises from the grave, dear friends, he is going to bring a healing and a restoration that is beyond this world. The one who can heal the physical sick is the one who can heal the spiritual sick. The one who can heal the body is the one who can heal the soul. And Jesus affirms this in chapter 5 of Luke, verse 24, where he says to the the Pharisees, when he's about to heal the paralytic, he says, So that you may know. That the Son of Man has authority. That the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive your sins. He looks at the paralytic and he says, get up and walk. And the man gets up and he walks immediately, completely, infinitely healed. And Christ says, I heal the physical that you may know that I can heal the spiritual difference. Jesus gave his life willingly on the cross that sinners may be restored. That your soul, that my soul may know life. Because when Adam ate of the sin, in that moment he died spiritually. And all of those who come from Adam, which is everyone, every person who comes from him... We are dead spiritually. We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. The power of sin has destroyed and wrecked us. But God in his great grace has sent us a Savior, a Messiah. And what we see is a foretaste of the great healing that he brings that when he rises from the grave, he comes that your soul may be have life. He comes that your soul and your sins may be be forgiven of its debt. He comes that your judgment may be removed. That if you repent of your sins, that you believe upon Christ, that if you return from your rebellion against God and have faith in Him, you shall be saved. And guess what? If He can save instantly and He can save, if He can heal instantly and completely and infinitely, dear friends, He can save in the same way. In other words, you need to know this morning that when you are saved... That when you repent of your sins and you turn from your sinful ways, when you have faith in Christ, you are instantly, immediately saved. How amazing is that? I I don't know if you're getting that. See, here's the thing. Many of you would shout amen right now if there was a leper in here and he got instantly healed. But that's nothing compared to what he does salvation-wise. That when you and I come to him and we confess our sins. and all If you think it's bad that a leper, you think it's bad that a man with cancer or leprosy. You look at all of this figure and you go, man, there's no way. Dear friends, you have not taken a good look at your own spiritual life to see how truly wretched you are. And in the very moment of a word, in the very moment that he wills it. You are immediately reborn. Do you know what that means? You don't have to pay penance anymore for your life. But, but Brian, I was a, I did this. You don't have to pay penance for it. But you don't know what I did. You don't know whose life I wrecked. You don't know the sins. You don't know how bad I am. It can't be that quick. It can't be that immediate. Dear friends, it is that that one who would come and be saved by Christ no longer has to work, no longer has to pay penance. He is immediately saved. Not only that, you are completely saved. You are not partially saved. He doesn't start the process and you have to finish it, though some of you believe you do. Well, this is what we think. We think, well, God, God got it started, right? He, he, he got it cranked, but I've got to mow the yard. He, he, got the part, he, he started the fire, but I've got to keep it going. I, I've got to pour fuel on the flame. You don't have to worry, dear friend, about losing your salvation. Because the one who saves you Not only saves you immediately, but he saves you completely. You don't have... This is not you going to the doctor and having to return over and over and over again. When he saves you, you are saved completely and forever. He will hold you fast. By his grace, by his power. And not only that, you were saved infinitely, without limit... Some of you believe there is no sin. Some of you you believe there are sins that you have committed that cannot be forgiven. Some of you believe that there are sins in your life that you cannot break, that you cannot overcome. There are things that this is just the way life is and and God is good and God is great. And and I'll get the little shack in heaven, but but you know, I just can't overcome the sin, so, so why even try? You make a mockery of God's power when you say things like that. When you begin to go, you know what? He saved me, that's good. But there are just some things they just are. You make a mockery. And you have doubt in the power of God to restore and to redeem and to change your life. Well, beloved, I implore you this morning that if you are lost and unsaved, that you would know that you can be saved immediately, completely, and infinitely by this Savior I would call upon you to be like Peter. That like Peter who comes and says, there's nothing we can do for my mother-in-law, that you would come to Christ and say, there is nothing I can do. I can't even stop myself from getting physically sick. There's nothing I can do. I cannot reach into my heart and into my soul. And I cannot fix that which is in me. So I come to you and I look to you as my only hope. My only hope is in you, O Lord. I would call upon you this morning to be like the people who were sick in the city and line up at Peter's house that you would go and you would line up and you would you would come to Christ and say, I need a touch from you. I need you to overcome that which I cannot. I need you to save that which I cannot save. And if you physically have to go line up at a friend's house, if you physically have to come down to the altar and talk with someone, then come. Find someone who can help you, who can lead you into this salvation, who can show you and help you to understand what repentance looks like and what faith is. But know that Christ can and will save. But I must warn the Christian this morning. That those of us who have, who have experienced the healing of sin's power over our soul. I must encourage you to, that you live as though you have been healed. Because many of us are kind of like we are when we are sick. Is that that even after the fever breaks, what do you do? You, you milk it for all it's got. I, to all the ladies out here, I'm trying to help you. We, we just want to lay in bed and do nothing. And have our supper brought to us. And and have people pamper us. But notice what Peter's mother-in-law does. That the moment that she is healed. She gets up and she begins to serve. She begins to labor. If Christ has saved. If Christ has redeemed you. Then where is the proof of the healing? If Christ has removed your, not not just the the physical result, but if Christ has removed the judgment and the penalty of sin and broken the power of sin in your life, where is the proof? Are you serving Christ? Are you worshiping Christ? Are you growing in, in, in knowledge of Christ? Are you growing stronger against your sins? Or do you still moan and groan and complain like someone who is still under the power of sin? If so, beloved, we need to examine the healing. We need to go back to the Lord and begin to truly examine our hearts. For 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Because we have fruit of the healing of Christ. Are you serving are you worshiping? Are you acting as though, are you living as though you had been saved immediately, completely, and infinitely by Christ? But thirdly, I want you to notice the power of the gospel. Look at verse 42 through 44. He says, When the day came, Jesus left, and he went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him, and they tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. And he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. When it says Judea there, it just means Judea and Galilee. It's just referring in general to the whole area of Israel. We know he's in Galilee in this moment. But I love this. Luke tells us that though the people wanted Jesus to stay, and we don't know this. I've seen different scholars on this. We know that everyone who came to Jesus that night was healed. Could there have been other people in Capernaum that were not healed? Could there have been some people that, that they were going to get to bring? We don't know. We know that everybody brought that night that, that he did heal. But there certainly could have been others who had not come that night. But obviously we do know this, that they want to make him king. We're going to see this later. They want to make him king. And what better place than Capernaum in their minds? Let's, let's do it here. So they want him to stay. But he says, I cannot. Which is an interesting and surprising decision in their mind. I mean, after such a display of power, why not settle in and begin a healing ministry? Why not get a television station and start having crusades and start healing people and all those kind of things? Why not not begin planning a path to kingship? Why not begin planning your your plan to take Israel back from Rome? Obviously, this is what they all wanted, but he does neither of these It said, Jesus leaves Capernaum. And if there's any sick people who who didn't come that night, he he leaves them as well and he goes to preach the kingdom of God to other cities. For this was his purpose. That Greek word is used there for preach. It's the the very word we get our, our term evangelize. Evangelism. Your translation may say that he was going to preach the gospel. So what it means, it means that he was going to take the good news of salvation, the good news of the kingdom of God, that the king had left heaven and come to earth, that he may do exactly what we said several weeks ago when he was preaching in Isaiah, to bring salvation, his mission. He leaves not for the purpose, though, to go heal more people. He will do this, but this is not the priority. This is not, this is not the, the great power that he is really seeking to unleash upon the world. Instead, he goes to heal people spiritually by the power of the gospel. Well, this is what I love because we see the power of Christ here that overcomes sin. But don't and we say, "Well, Jesus is gone"? But don't forget, dear friends, we have the gospel power. Paul, Paul said in Romans 1.16, "The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." And this is what Jesus is doing. He's going into the cities that he may bring the gospel to them, that they may be set free from, spirit, from their sins. I want you to see two things. There's so much we could look here, but I want to just two things I want you to see. I want you to see first that physical healing is not the ultimate purpose or priority of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Physical healing is not the ultimate purpose or priority of of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, of the church. It is something that we do as a ministry of compassion. We help, we pray for those who are sick. We help those who don't receive healing. But you need to understand that too many times we put the priority on the physical healings, on the power of God to heal people physically, but never enough on the spiritual side of it. This is the question that is asked all the time. Why does God heal some and not others? I know know this individual, that God healed them. They they prayed. And we're not talking about the the gift of healing. That's a whole other sermon. We're just talking about when we pray and God heals. Because that's what we see in our day. God heals through our prayers of of the people. But why why is it that some people's prayers are answered and other people's are not? But that is the will of God. That he is the knower of all things. What we do know is this, is that Jesus, when he was on earth, he healed many. But that was very rare. This type of healing was rare throughout all of history. If you go and study, you'll see that you don't see this type of gift of healing and people receiving healing like you did in the Old Testament and even after the days of the apostles. But there were those that Jesus did not heal. This is according to his will. He is the knower of all things. We know this, that if God wills for an individual to be healed, they will be healed. If he does not, then they won't. And so maybe there are some of you here who have prayed for a healing for yourself. You pray for someone else that, you, that they would be healed, and, and that prayer was not answered. And so the question that we ask is, is why not, dear friend? But, but let me say this. Maybe, maybe the question needs to be changed instead of, why not has God healed? But, but what does God want? What does God will does He desire to heal the individual in this life? Or does God have another plan to show His glory through weakness? I say this to you this morning, there are people who by their endurance in the midst of sickness who demonstrate the power of God greater than healing. i say it again. There are people who by their endurance in the midst of sickness demonstrate the power of God greater than if they were healed. That if they, are not, if, they, if, if they endure, they demonstrate the power of the gospel to save and sanctify. That when they are physically weak, they keep coming to church. Compared to those who are physically strong and not weak who can't ever seem to make it to church. What keeps a man, what keeps a woman who is sick and whose body is wrecked with pain and hardships and difficulty day after day? And on Sunday morning, they are determined they are going to be there to sing with the saints. That is the power of Christ. When others, they just feel bad and they miss church. I'm too tired. What about, what about when those who are physically weak serve without gripe and complaint, while those who are stronger serve not at all, or gripe and complain when they do? What about the physically weak who, who endure to the end while, while the healthy stop, and, and, and we never see them again, right? What is it with the individuals who are weak? Is it in them and of themselves? Dear friends, it is the power of the gospel that has transformed their life and sanctified them. I find the greatest display of God's grace and encouragement to my life is not in the healings that I've seen in others, but it is in the perseverance of men and women who are physically struggling, who literally walk through those front doors and sit with us and sing and attend and worship. I say, dear friends, that if you are sick, then keep on keeping on. You are an encouragement beyond belief. You are a display of the power of God. But I say that if you are healthy and you struggle to persevere at the slightest discomfort, that you would examine yourself today and seek God's spiritual healing. But I also say this, that God will heal all when His kingdom comes to complete fulfillment. Jesus has come to bring a message that heals. He is going in the cities to preach the gospel. But it is not just a message that is of spiritual healing. It is a message of physical healing, just not in this moment. You see, our message that we preach today is a gospel that not only tells us that Christ has come to, to save the sinner. That he not only died and rose that he's saved, but that we who are saved will one day know the complete healing of our physical bodies. This is a message that has the power to do more than heal physical sickness. It has the power to completely transform us into new bodies. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Beloved, the gospel heals first our souls. But the gospel promises one day it will heal our bodies. May I encourage you that if you are sick and struggling this morning, physically struggling that you preach the gospel to yourself find comfort in the gospel strength in the gospel remind yourself encourage yourself with the good news that one day the kingdom of god will be will be complete and in its fulfillment and you will no longer struggle anymore physically rejoice this morning sing sing as though you know and you believe that this will happen and secondly, what I say is that you would preach this message, FBC. Preach this message of the gospel that has the power to save the soul and the body in the future. Preach this. Stop getting distracted with just the physical. But but let us preach with the focus of the gospel, and we preach it and we evangelize. Make the evangelism my priority. We preach it to the healthy and we preach it to the sick. But FBC, we never stop preaching the power authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God.